Lemonada. It slips off my foot and it sends me like just straight through the air and I have a, a skirt on and I am like just sliding like I'm coming oh. into home base like on the dirt in front of this dude that walks right by me. He goes, what's up, Elise? My skirt's over my head. And I'm like, how's it going, Eric? And he just like walks right by me. And the takeaway from that was, oh my God, oh my God Eric knows my name. <laughs> this is Podcrushed. The podcast that takes the sting out of rejection, one crushing middle school story at a time. And where guests share their teenage memories, both meaningful and mortifying. And we're your hosts. I'm Nava, a former middle school director. I'm Sophie, a former fifth grade teacher. And I'm Penn, a middle school dropout. I realized this week that you're so lucky to have me on this podcast. You know why? <laughs> why? I don't want to hear this part. <laughs> I react so intensely to your guys' story. I make you look Aww. so good. I laugh hard. You guys are nose laughers. What is a nose, nose laugher? What, does that mean I go <laughs> like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have like a full body laugh. I, I like thought I the notes again. we even gave ourselves after the first couple episodes we heard was like, guys, we got to stop laughing. Uh, no, that was a reviewer in the Times yeah. <laughs> who said that um, we were laughing too much. Mm. Anyway, I can share something. This might be too meaningful, but I've been buzzing this week because I recently with two friends started hosting a space for like young adults in any profession to come together from different backgrounds and different belief perspectives, professions, ideologies, political stripes, and talk about a common theme. It's a different theme each time from our own points of view. And the only rule is that you can't disrespect what someone else has said. And it's been the most like uplifting space and it feels completely at odds with what I read about in the news every day, which makes it seem like there's just intractable conflict and, and we're never going to agree with one another or understand each other if we're different. And I've honestly felt really happy and joyful in a way that I hadn't in maybe like a couple of years just reading the news and feeling really bleak about the state of the world. That's really beautiful. I could actually see that. It's like, wow, Nava, you seem like you're glowing. Aww. Aww. That's very sweet. Like, you seem not bleak for once, for the first time in three years. You know, you know what's interesting? Yeah. I'm not bleak in my in my outlook. However, I like wear a bleak disposition mm. because it's like edgy. Look, it's sexy. <laughs> uh, you know what else is sexy? You know who else is sexy? You know when else is sexy? This doesn't make sense. What's yeah. happening right now? Because we got. Uh, you know, it's funny. I wish Elise was here just for this yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. Our guest today is Elise Myers. She's a storyteller, comedian, content creator extraordinaire. She's popping up on your TikTok all the time, probably with stories from her life that everyone can relate to. Shout out to Mr. C, um, the seventh grade substitute teacher that I had who at 11 years old told me I was too fat and not pretty enough to be a cheerleader, so I should probably try wrestling instead. It's more suited for my body type. I hope that you're having the day that you deserve, excruciatingly so. At this point, she's basically the internet's best friend and like all best friends. And Lise reminds us that even in our less than glamorous moments, we're not so alone after all. We had so much fun talking to her in this episode. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. Join us on Archetypes, a dynamic podcast hosted by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, as she digs into the labels that try to hold women back. In each intimate and candid conversation, Megan is joined by guests like Serena Williams, Mariah Carey, Paris Hilton, Issa Rae, and Trevor Noah as they delve into the roots of countless common descriptors of women, like diva, crazy, dumb blonde, 
and the B word and redefine and reclaim each identity along the way. The complete season of Archetypes is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Are you curious about what drives our buying decisions? Tune in to Add to Cart, where Suchin Pak and Kulap Vilaisak reveal the deeper layers behind our purchases. From the whimsical to the serious, they explore it all. Whether it's a debate over a quirky swimsuit or a deep dive into a new life philosophy, they've got you covered with their hilarious and subversive takes. Don't miss out. Add to Cart from Lemonada Media has new episodes every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. I just have to tell you, Elise, a funny story. I'm Sophie, by the way. I'm Nava. Yeah, and let me just give you a little bit of background here. Uh, They're not famous. That's all you need to know. (laughs) No. Um. (laughs) Just two normies. (laughs) No, I know your guys' stories. I've been been listening to your podcast for a long time. So yeah, I'm like trying to not fangirl, so I'm not going to be weird, but That is so nice to hear. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then in that case, the one time I was going to introduce them really well. Literally, Elise, this is the one time. (laughs) He never introduces us. No, it's no, a sore no, spot, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> no, but I was going to say that Penn never messages me. He never texts me. He never he never calls. <laughs> Sometimes, occasionally. But he never messages me on Instagram. He never goes on Instagram. That's true. He's barely on Instagram. And one day I open my phone and it, I have a DM from Penn. I'm like, what? Is this a mistake? And all it is, he didn't say anything. He just sent me a video of yours. And I was like, oh my God, I love Elise. Like, it'll be so fun to have her on the podcast one day. And just never responded. He just, and then, <laughs> and then when we were in person. Surely we were talking later. I mean, DM is the worst <laughs> yeah, place we to respond. No, I just think it's sweet that the, one of the few times he's DM'd me, it's been about you. I'm honored. Actually, one of the few DMs, the only DM I can recall sending in the last several months is your videos, at least. No That's lie. crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, let's just dig right in. Yes. There's a video of you being crowned the Queen's Diamond at the Bridgerton Ball, <laughs> and you curtsied, and then you did the sprinkler. <laughs> like, might this be a portal into what Elise was like in middle school? It's, yeah. And then I dropped it low after that. <laughs> it's like my brain never matured past the point of like, if someone responds well to something, just do it a million times harder. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, they're like, yeah, that was funny. She did the sprinkler. So my brain's like, oh, if that was funny, I'm just going to drop it low. <laughs> yeah, no, middle school Elise was even more uncomfortable because I like, I didn't fit in. I just never really knew how to have conversation. Um, there were like the very popular people and then I wasn't that. And so I kind of just decided, you know what, I'm going to just dive real deep into who I kind of think I am because I already felt like I wasn't that anyway. So I might as well just figure it out. That's something that I can't relate to. Like I I feel like in middle school, all I wanted to do was like be like the people that I thought were cool and sure. like bend myself into that. So I really admire that. Well, I, I mean, I think everyone always has that like deep, you know, innate feeling of wanting to belong. And I think that that's where a lot of the times as young kids, we get we get lost in that of trying to find the sense of self, but also connect with other people and find their community and like, Within that, it can be really, really hard to figure out who you are. And that's when I think some of the most awkward moments happen is you trying mm-hmm. to be this person you're not. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable with myself. And it's just, it all kind of blows up in your face. Mm. Elise, can you tell us a little bit about your family life, where you grew up, like what you were interested in, who you wanted to be at that time? So I grew up in California, right down the street from Disneyland. So I heard like the fireworks at night, 8 p.m. or whenever they go off, that was like bedtime. Every night? Every night, wow. yeah. Was it magical? It was magical until you were like, I just don't want to hear fireworks anymore <laughs> and like loud parade music. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool growing up in Anaheim. And I had three older brothers, so I wanted to fit in with them. And they were really my kind of 
compass. But yeah, our home life was kind of bizarre. Like it was pretty unhealthy. Our parents were not together by the time I was born and it was just like Mm. real wild. We didn't have a lot of like stability at home. So me and my brothers really clung together and we became like best friends. And uh, yeah, I wanted to be like a musician. I played music. I wanted to dance. I loved writing. I loved all things comedy just because I, I just loved watching SNL and consuming everything I could of like the Martin Shorts and the, and the Steve Martins and the Chris mm. Farleys and, you know, those those comedy geniuses. And that's kind of the stuff I was consuming at like 10 years old. It was like <laughs> not a very normal like 10-year-old palette. I'm obsessed with Martin Short. I was just showing David a TikTok of an interview that he was on. I think it was Fallon. And um, he Fallon was asking, like, how's your summer going? He was like, oh, I'm devastated about Kim and Pete. <laughs> like, I have to get rid of my tattoo. And I was like, I am obsessed with you. That's obsessed. really cute. Yeah. Wait, can I just say one aside? Because when Kim and Pete broke up, did you post something like, I shouldn't be oh. as sad about this as I am? I'm, I'm more devastated about this than I have any business being. Yes, like, I felt I the exact same way. When I read your tweet, I didn't even know that I cared about either of yeah, these people. And I know. I'm really and it, upset it was that the they day that uh, his, that uh, Chloe gave birth. Uh-huh. So everyone thinks that Chris, the momager of the century, basically <laughs> contrived this relationship so that like yeah. no one would pay attention to everything happening with Chloe. Which, yeah, if funny. she did, amazing. Props to her. She's a mom. Okay, wow. not to pivot too hard back, but <laughs> you are so talented. You like. Not only are you an incredible storyteller, you are an incredible singer, you were a web developer, you played the viola. Like, Pick a lane. Yes, honestly. I, I won't. I will not. <laughs> what was your household like so that it could allow you to flourish in all of those ways or to follow all of those paths at once? I think that um, a lot of chaos was happening and I think mm-hmm. that there wasn't a lot of time for me to have a lot of space to process stuff with people. I think that everyone Mm. had a lot of their own stuff going on. And I found that if I couldn't have space to talk about it with people, I would, I would process it with myself. And the way I knew how to do that was playing music. Like I found music to be very therapeutic and healing for me. And I was very curious. And, and then that curiosity just sparked into other things. What would drawing look like? And Mm -hmm. so I started drawing and then, you know, I started writing and then you just that curiosity. I think that as soon as I uh, mastered something and it, it felt like it kind of healed something in me or like helped me process Mm -hmm. something. Um, I was like, all right, next thing. And I am notorious for that. Mm -hmm. People look at my social media and they always say like, you've never picked a niche. And I think that it's like, as a whole person, you don't niche down as a person. You don't just like Penn, you're not just an actor. And like, mm-hmm. Sophie, were you the teacher? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was also a teacher. Like you guys yeah. didn't just pick one thing and everyone knew you was that and you never did anything mm-hmm. else. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I just think that it, our social media has become so niched and so one-sided mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like that person's a real person anymore. And I think yeah. the more I can post about all the things I love, like cooking and singing and writing mm-hmm. and art and web development and comedy, like that makes me an actual person to somebody when they're consuming my content because I am. Mm. I think that's really cool. And I think that's something really helpful for parents to know about kids. Like if a parent knows that their child is going through something hard to be able to give them those tools. I've been making like collages recently. I was telling Nava and Penn that I was feeling creatively tapped out. Like I wasn't doing my own creative stuff. And I decided I was just going to choose something that I could do within a couple hours in a day so that I could do something every day that could fulfill that need for me. And I started making these collages and I made a collage about aging. Like I sat down and I I didn't know that that's what I was going to do. And then like the next day I sat down, I thought it was going to be about flowers and it ended up being about death. And I was like, 
oh, it really is like helping me express some thoughts that I haven't even admitted to myself. And I think too, not putting pressure on somebody once they get good at something that that now has to be something that they monetize. It's like, when can we just stop and like make a fucking collage? Like, yeah. I just want to make a collage about death. Like, I don't want to yeah. sell it on Etsy. Yeah. I, I recently heard, I was at a conference where people were presenting about like media that has social impact. And there was this incredible, incredible woman who presented there. Her name is Mona Gadirian. She presented about this project where they were doing cell films in... I don't remember what country, but in a community on the African continent. And they were investigating with girls in this community why the soil had become arid. Like over time, the soil had become arid. And so the girls were sharing like their perspectives on on why. And no one ever talked about like gender inequality is a factor. Like no one articulated that. But then they had the girls like come up with skits that they were going to film sort of representing the, the challenges with the soil. And in almost every skit, it came up that like, the mothers would ask the fathers not to plant certain things and they would do it anyway. And they would like, and the woman would say, if you do this, the soil will go bad. And so it came out that like one of the reasons that the land was getting depleted had to do with gender norms in that community. And it was like really powerful to see that that came out through art and it would have never been expressed otherwise. They wouldn't have, you know, consciously articulated that. It was just, they were reflecting their reality. They were sitting down to make a collage about flowers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it turned out to be about death. Actually, actually, in this case, that was true. They sat down to make a movie. (laughs) It's it's all connected. It was about how men don't listen to women. Basically death. (laughs) Before we move on from middle school, we do always ask people, what were their first experiences around crushes, around heartbreak? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So... There was like this one specific person that I was absolutely obsessed with before I had like a boyfriend, anything. And he was like the popular person at this school. Mm. And he actually follows me and will will message me, which is, I literally revert back to my middle school self. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I I have my whole husband next to me with my baby. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh my God, like Eric messaged me. I say back. (laughs) Jonas is like, who? And I'm like, Eric. (laughs) And like, oh, it just, it's so yeah, it was this person for me. And, um, and he had no idea I existed. Um, I would volunteer in the cafeteria to avoid t- talking to people at lunch. Oh, that is so It sounds amazing. so sad, but it actually no, was awesome. Yeah. I got like community service hours. I had got to wear the whole headpiece and the gloves and the, it was amazing. I yeah. loved it. But really I got out of class 15 minutes early because I had to go to the cafeteria. <laughs> and on pizza day, that's like... Oh, That's yeah. exponentially valuable to me. I get yeah. a piece of pizza. Like there's only like a hundred pieces. <laughs> Anyways, so I was running to get to my like shift and um <laughs> and I was wearing these like you, you know like Toms, like the mm-hmm. slip-on shoes. So I'm I'm wearing these and I slip on a crack in my sweaty feet that have like soiled these toms after like a year. <laughs> They're literally just slime. It slips off my foot and it sends me like just straight through the air and I have a a skirt on and I am like just sliding like I'm coming into home base like on the dirt in front of this dude that walks right by me 
He goes, what's up, Elise? My skirt's over my head. And I'm like, how's it going, Eric? And he just like walks right by me. And the takeaway from that was, oh my God, oh my God Eric knows my name. <laughs> like that's the best day ever. And I lived on that high for, I think, like a year until I got my first boyfriend. That is so and, good. Yeah. Your response was so chill. Like you weren't mortified. I, that's incredible. Oh, I wanted to die for sure. But then when he said my name, I was like... <gasps> That's this it. Everything's amazing. been restored in me that's ever been broken. <laughs> that, that, was, yeah. that was like, that was it for me. And now that he follows me on social media, he is for sure going to hear this. Yeah. So yeah, does he know that he's the one? No, no. not till right this moment. <laughs> yeah, okay, this is great. Yeah. An exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a first heartbreak that you can share with us as well? Yeah. So I really like this person. He was like my best friend. And he basically asked me out on a dare. He sends his friend to come up to me and ask me if I want to go out with him, which red flag number one, like that's weird. Um, and I was like, absolutely, yes. I will take your hand in like dating relationship. <laughs> you can pass that on to AJ. <laughs> like, and uh he didn't talk to me for a whole seven days after that. And then he comes up to me one day and as I'm waiting for like my mom to pick me up and he's like, hey, we're not still dating, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Are you Dagger. kidding me? Yeah. So we stopped dating and then I remember just bawling my eyeballs out and I got home oh. and my brother ripped a paper towel off of like the roll, like this rough like sandpaper paper towel and just like puts it on my chest and he's like, Sorry. <laughs> just like, it's not okay. Yeah. We ended yeah. up dating later and he ended up being gay. So it all worked out for the best. But um, yeah, that just felt like so tragic. Like, oh. like nothing was ever going to be good again in my life after that moment. And then it, everything was fine. Oh, <laughs> it, yeah. Life went on. We have people send in stories. And that's actually more common than you would think, that people get the their friend friends... Thing. And it's a dare and it's not real. And it, yeah. I'm like, where did everybody learn this? Like, what it's was so the cruel? Method and that- kids don't even know. It's like so messed up. Yeah. Did that ever happen to any of you? That didn't happen to me, but I, I was in a relationship <laughs> when I was in elementary school and he ended up being gay. And I yeah. found out like through the grapevine, like someone else, like, oh, you know, he's gay, right? And I was like, okay, that's. <laughs> de facto our breakup okay all right you're just like anything else <laughs> yeah. i should know yeah. about the person I'm dating. <laughs> perfect all right yeah thank you so much for your service yeah yeah that never happened to me i'd like to attribute it to the fact that i wasn't allowed to date till i was 16 and that was okay. known but honestly i don't think anyone was asking me out. <laughs> how do you feel about that rule of not dating till you're 16 because personally i wish that that would have been like a rule for me yeah mm-hmm. that's interesting i was actually thinking about this the other day like the only thing that i will say is that i think it delayed being comfortable around romantic situations. Yeah. Like just like not even being able to think about it. Although I still had my crushes and stuff. So that's like one, I think, drawback. But also like, what are you doing when you're 12 and dating? You know? What possible romantic health could you be just like growing (laughs) at 12? (laughs) Yeah. Penn, did you have an age that you were able to start dating or was it just like whenever? No, there was definitely no rules around that. I mean, you know, I moved to Hollywood and was... You didn't get that normal middle school experience at all? Uh, I, I had a bit of a sixth grade I had and, and like oh, okay. most of seventh grade. I think I've just started to get in touch with how certain lessons, like bad lessons, how it imprinted really deeply because it's such an impressionable time. Sure. I think for me, 
sexuality in particular was just like really distorted, you know? Really? Like, like what, like the representation of a man, like what a man should be was really, really, really like a distorted bar that's also set incredibly high. It's just not like the way anyone can live, let alone uh, like a 14 year old. But, you know, you have these ideas about how you're meant to be, especially if you're pursuing a craft, you know, as an artist. I was thinking so much about how, like, I say all the time how thankful I am that I'm 28, I'm married, I have a kid, and I know who I am and and what I want out of my life. And so Mm. I'm very thankful that that all of this happened now. And I just couldn't imagine this happening to somebody that was younger. Mm. That would be very confusing. Like, you're a very vulnerable person with all these people making decisions for you that impact the rest of your life that you just don't have the brain space or, like, the wisdom to process. Mm. As I was listening to the episode that you guys did, just the three of you, where you were sharing stories, I don't know if you look back on it with, like, fondness or if you're, like still reeling from like hurt that maybe happened in that time? Like, is it like, do you look back on it with fondness or is it hard sometimes to dig through those memories? I think it's, it's, it's really multifaceted. Yeah. Middle school and high school years for me, they, they stick out in my mind as like the hardest and darkest years of my life. Wow. But at the same time, I can also recall the sweetness as well. Yeah. Just very randomly, at least I just had this, when you asked Penn the question, the way you asked it was so thoughtful and like, inviting but not pushing which is really nice and I just had this overwhelming feeling like Elise Myers is a good person oh, I just wanted to oh say my that God. <laughs> like I'm so That's pushy so I'm just sweet. like Ben tell us why it was such a dark time like reveal no listen I actually I'm interested in exploring it in in depth and I and like that look you know you don't have to be transparent about this stuff or public about trials and tribulations in your life however when you become a public figure and then you have something like a podcast and people ask you these things in interviews anyway you know, I'm actually, Nav and Sophie know this, I'm not inclined to do things publicly at all, <laughs> like, like, like at all. However, when you're in, when you're, when you're put into the situation, it's like, all right, well, I'm not, well, I'm not going to be inauthentic, you know, I'm not oh, going yeah. to respond. I actually, finally at 35 years old, it's working for me. <laughs> be, <laughs> being transparent and authentic in press. <laughs> Whereas, you know, 15 years ago, hmm. it didn't go that way. I remember being asked about sex and dating and it was for Cosmo Girl or something like that. And I remember the interview being like so uncomfortable because because basically what's happening there is that there's an adult asking you about like your sexual behavior and you're like, do I have to talk about this right? I guess I do. And by the way, your publicist isn't saying no. There's, there's, there's no one, there's no, there's no one saying no. There's no one saying they're like, this is a good opportunity. In press, you feel as that you're made to feel as though you have to give them what they want, not mm-hmm. an answer to a real question. Mm. That's right. the, that's the really messed up aspect of it all is that mm. it's a complete construct, and the interviewer doesn't really want to be doing it. They don't want to be there. They're an adult, hopefully, who has like bigger aspirations than asking this child dating advice for their 14-year-old female reader. You know, it's like there's so many, like, things, yeah. just one distortion on top of another. Mm-hmm. And I, like, anyway. I think that press is so scary to do. And really early on, I was, like, really <sighs> nervous about feeling safe, like, mm. because it does feel like you are literally just pushed into a conversation and you don't think about how scary it is because it's just one person. Yeah. You're not being like asked on a stage in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, but you are. But you but you don't you don't know that yeah. when you say yes. And then yeah. all of a sudden yeah. you're on a conversation, you know, like on a phone call with somebody who's writing this like article about you. Mm. And they have an opinion. 
Well, and they'll ask every question that you allow them to. It's not yeah. that they're like, they literally, like people will just take as much as you will give them. And I've, I didn't know I could say like no comment. Like I just did not even know that was an option. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. building a team around me that helps me feel safe, like that knows what questions I do and don't even want to go into. Like press media interviews, it's so scary. And it just feels like there's no boundary there unless you are very clear mm-hmm. about what that boundary is, but you don't know that it's been crossed until it's been crossed. And then you know to have it later, mm-hmm. which also feels like shot to the heart. Mm-hmm. Cause you're just like, Oh, I've been betrayed, you know, but yeah. yeah, being authentic online is very, very scary because then it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to answer this, I'm going to be completely honest with you. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just end up spilling your soul on accident. And you're like, fuck, like, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I know, I know. Which I know. is really it's scary. A, it's a hard lesson to learn repeatedly. By the way, in all our episodes, we want to have a vulnerable conversation. And often we do tell people, I'll, t- I'll tell you now that you can come back to us after this and say like, actually, I said this thing. I would Cut prefer it. for yeah. that not to go out. Yeah, you can totally... But overall, our goal is to exploit your vulnerabilities for numbers. (laughs) Love it. Perfect. No, I've been learning the art of being like, I really should not have said that. Please don't. (laughs) Please don't include that. And I'm learning in the moment to say it. But no, you guys are are very comfortable people to chat with. So this is great. That's how they get you. (laughs) And we'll be right back. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out March 27th from Lemonada Media. Hey, listeners. Are you looking to update your wardrobe with items that actually make life suck less? We're here to help. We've got brand new Lemonada merchandise from Add to Cart, In the Bubble, V Interesting, Raised by Ricky, and more at the Lemonada Media online store. From stylish sweatshirts to eco-friendly water bottles, we've worked hard to curate a comprehensive line of actually cool merchandise that will fit seamlessly into your everyday life. Show off your favorite Lemonada podcast or your favorite Lemon logo in style with t-shirts, tumblers, hats, mugs, and more. Head to our merch store at LemonadaMedia.com shop to pick up your Lemonada merch today. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. We talked a little bit about crushes and heartbreak, and I did want to ask you the video that you went totally viral for was the oh yeah the taco guy story, which I loved. Yeah. I think it's hilarious, and you know it's about for anyone who doesn't know, which is like two people. Yeah, I've actually not seen this one yet, uh, including that includes really? Ken. <laughs> Like two people. In listen, the world. Listen, listen, I'm a fan, but I mean, I'm not. You know, I get it. Well, okay. I'm not going to describe the whole thing, but basically, no, no, it's no, about, at least you don't know. It's about your worst first date, and you know, it's <laughs> yes. a hilarious story about this guy ordering hundred tacos, making you pay for them. Crazy story. 
what I wanted to ask was like, we've heard about some, some bad experiences, but then I also know that you, you do share a little bit about your husband, Jonas, and your relationship seems so sweet. And I wonder if you can tell us what was it about him that stood out? What was it that drew you to him? Honestly, it's going to sound so silly, but he told the truth. And that was like something I had not encountered in a partner where everything that came out of their mouth was like the truth. And it blew my mind. Like I've had so many people in my life be dishonest to me, whether it was like a romantic partner or like somebody that I should have been able to trust and didn't. And like, I, I couldn't. And like, we ended up talking long distance and he ended up buying me a ticket to go to Kansas to spend basically a whole week together to decide if we wanted to date. Cause I was like, I don't want to keep talking to this person that is, there's no possible way we'll be together. It's wasting my time and wasting my emotional energy. I think we should stop talking. And he's like, you need space. Perfect. I'm going to buy you a ticket to Kansas <laughs> and you can come spend the week with me. Awesome. So I did that. And, uh, I remembered he had told me all of these stories of, of him as like a kid in high school and middle school that, he did not have to be honest about like mm. I would, there would never be a moment that that would have been like fact checked. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like I was sitting at dinner with his family and his mom like goes into this story about him in high school. And it was the same story that he told me. And I was just, my mind was blown that Aww. he told me the truth. And it was like, I just had this immediate trust in him as a person. And ever since then, like that has just been proven in everything he does. And, and that little nugget of like, he's a truth teller. He's an honest person. Like he is who he says he is. Like he comes home when he says he's going to come home. He like will pick you up when he says he's going to pick you up. Like he'll do something that he says he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's a big deal to be able to just have that kind of trust in somebody. That's a safe person. That's somebody that you can rely on that you want your kids to be like. Like you just don't get a lot of that. I love that. That's beautiful. I just yeah. read this quote yesterday that really struck a chord with me. And it's it, it was trustworthiness is the greatest portal leading unto the tranquility and security of the people. And I was like, whoa, that's true. Yeah. Like when you. How did you remember that? I, I'm like just impressed that you like. <laughs> I know. I am too, actually. <laughs> um, no, but just being able to to know that you're going to also follow through, not just that you're telling me the truth about your past or your present, but that you say you're going to do something, you're actually going to follow mm -hmm. through and do it oh, yeah. is a really underrated quality. Especially like with people that I dated that like would even say like, I love you. And then they would not talk to you for three days. Mm -hmm. You're just like, you, I just always felt like I was not the right person. It wasn't mm -hmm. like those people weren't right. It was like, I, there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like when he would look at me and he would be like, I love you. And I want to be in your life as long as you'll let me. Like I knew he actually meant that. Like that's just, it's a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, trustworthiness is just something that you don't come by. You don't see it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so when you do see it in someone, it's very special. Mm -hmm. But I remembered like chasing this one dude that would like, you know, just confess how much he loves mm -hmm. me and like I'm like gonna save his life and then would like run away mm -hmm. for a year and then come back. And it was always when I was happy, you know, he mm -hmm. just could like sense that I was like happy. Just did that for like eight years. It was wild. Wow. And like I mistook that passion, that feeling of like drop everything and be with this person, that chaotic, like passion. Mm -hmm. I, I mistook that for like what love was. Mm -hmm. And so when I didn't feel that with somebody, I was like, oh, I just love. don't feel it. Yeah. You know, there, that spark isn't there. And it's like, is it a spark or is it like emotional manipulation? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. It, it, so it, because that's important distinction. Yeah. And like, I, when I realized those are not the same things, like it, 
that was kind of a game changer for me and in moving into a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. We, we don't we don't even really see those stories told. Because, yeah, I we mean, don't. the way yeah. that we even talk about love, it's akin to spontaneous combustion rather mm-hmm. than the kindling yeah. of a fire, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kindling yeah, of a fire a really is a very different it. process from waiting for fucking magic. <laughs> Literally waiting like, I think maybe lightning might strike, guys. Yeah. yeah I mean, imagine so if you had to true. rely on fire for anything and you were like, yeah, we don't, we don't know how to make it. We just uh, <laughs> pounce on it when it's, it's so flaming true. and it's then so we uh, get burnt up and then it goes out when we just uh, keep going. We just yeah. wait for another we one. We just wait for the sky to open up and yeah. zap it down from heaven yeah. for yeah. us to have a fire. <laughs> If you, if you sort of examine and analyze and explore our cultural teachings about love, they're, they're pitifully incoherent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, there's just no guidance there. And I actually feel like maybe part of the reason those years for me were the darkest, now that I think about it, is because what everybody, what you first start to long for, I mean, the reason that crushes even are a thing is because really you're starting to feel that first that first spark that could be kindled into feelings of affection and real lasting love yeah. if it happens, you know, once you gain maturity and if it's the right person. But, you know, we don't have that. All we have is just these fleeting, ridiculous, childish notions of love that adults think are mature if you just add sex. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, that's yes. not. It's actually even more immature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that, that, that logo that says mature. Mm-hmm. Uh, explicit content. It should say immature. It's 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 war and <laughs> violence and sex. That shit is childish. Yeah. One of my cousins told me this once. I had like a decade long phase of that of like only being like interested in like a push pull. If it was stable, I wasn't interested. And my co- one of my cousins pulled me aside once, and he was like, "Neva, you are doing the wrong thing. Like mm. you are investing in the wrong men. Ooh. You have to evaluate this." And he said, wow. "He said you're looking for excitement." And you're confusing it. And he said, there's nothing more exciting than a stable marriage. And I've never forgotten that. And I think that that's so beautiful. Mm. It took me like three more years to that conversation <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah, he's right. Listen, I but it was good. <laughs> but I was just like, that's not what I'm doing. I, I love Greg. Like, I have to be yeah. with Greg. But, <laughs> Greg. Yeah. No, but I'm different. This is a different situation. But I get it. No, if that, that does make Normally sense. Normally, you'd be right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. However. You don't know Greg. This one time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow, that took a hard right. I like that. Before we move on from Taco Guy, because this was originally about Taco Guy. Is this about Taco Guy? <laughs> originally, a while no. ago. Did he ever reach out to you? Like, did he ever say anything? Mm-hmm. No. Wow. I never got um, any info from him, but I did hear that it happened to three other people at the same Taco Bell. So does he just like run a taco scam? <laughs> I don't know. So if you haven't heard the taco story, essentially I was on dating apps before dating apps were actually a thing. It was like Craigslist at that point, And it was shameful. You couldn't tell, like, you couldn't tell anybody that you're on a dating app at that point. So no one knew I, like what I was doing to keep me safe. This guy messaged me and he's like, I like your face. Let's get some food. And at that point I'm like, that's everything I need to know. Like you're my husband. Let's get some food. So he is like, drive to my house. It's like a 45-minute drive, red flag. No, I'm blazing right past him. I'm colorblind to red flags at this point. And I like show up at his house. He's standing outside of his house. And he goes, hey, I can't find my keys. Can you just drive us there? And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I'll just tell you. What? He literally was giving me turn-by-turn directions. And I he could have been taking me to like an abandoned warehouse. Oh, my unknown. goodness. And then he tells me to turn into this parking lot. And he turns me into Taco Bell. And I was like... 
okay. And I was like, dine in or drive through? And he's like, drive through. And I was like, okay, he has a plan. Like, (laughs) he's got like a cute romantic picnic set up. You know what I mean? Sure. And so we go to the speaker and he like leans over me and and just orders a hundred hard shell tacos. He says a hundred? 100 hard shell tacos. (laughs) He literally cuts the girl off. was like, hi, welcome to 100. I would like 100 hard shell tacos, please. What? And then he looks at me and he goes, do you want anything? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, I think that'll cover it. And then I'm wondering, like, are those all for him? Is he going to share any? So then he does the whole pat down of like, I can't find my wallet. No, 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 no. So I was like, did you forget your wallet? He's like, yeah. And I was like, do you need me to pay for it? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Was this the and 39 cent taco days or like how, how much we're talking here? It was $150. <laughs> oh, what? So I paid for it. And then I was like, where to next? No. <laughs> what on earth? You're like, this is going well. If I'm being fully honest with you, I was really scared. And I thought, I'm going to do anything I need to do to get out of this date. And nobody understands that. Yeah, no, that does make sense. So I'm thinking, okay, this girl's going to know this is a weird situation when she's making the tacos and bringing them to our car. They're going to think this is weird. No one thought it was weird. And so, so then I was like, where to next? And he's like, oh, we'll go back to my house. And I was like, okay. I'm scared if I yeah. say no. Like, I don't know. Nobody knows I'm on this date. I was Women ashamed. are so conditioned to say yes. Yes, yes, that, I, mean, I hear you. Oh, I hear you. Sophie, yeah. no, I have yeah. wild stories of like yeah. putting my life in danger knowing that I was putting it in danger because I couldn't say no. No, I can totally uh, yeah. picture being it's, in this you're situation. And really, it's one at a time. It's like one decision at a time. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. So anyways, we walk in. His dad's on the couch. We have to walk in between his dad and the TV to like oh. get to the kitchen. First, I'm like, he lives with his dad. That's weird. And then I was like, he lives with his dad. Like, like, (laughs) I don't know. I honestly don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I'm going to eat a taco and I'm going to get out Mm. and be like, oh my gosh, I have to go. We get to his kitchen and it's like a Coca-Cola themed kitchen. (laughs) You know, like everything's red and sparkly. So he unleashes a pack of tacos onto the table and screams, let's feast at the top of his lungs. (laughs) What? And just starts chowing down and it, we're just eating crunchy tacos in silence. And it's just the most, uncom- I think I ate a taco in like three bites. Cause I'm like, I, I need to get out of here. So his dad comes over and this is where I'm like, I'm actually going to die. His dad comes over and grabs a taco, stands over us at the table and eats the taco. And lettuce is just like falling in my lap from his what? taco. And he goes, do you want to go see my studio? No. Oh my God. And I was like, no. I'm okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I grab all of the tacos because I paid for them. And that's my whole food for the week. And I had no money in my bank account now. So I grabbed all, like I'm just holding all of the tacos and I walk out the door and he's like, do you need help? And I was like, no, I got it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I got it. And I'm like just walking to my car and I pile my car with tacos and I drive home and I didn't oh tell goodness. a soul oh, because please. I was so embarrassed. Oh. And everyone's like, you're such an idiot. Like, how could you get in that situation? And I'm like, you just don't understand until you're in that moment. I totally get it. It was one decision at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No. So, anyways, that was the story. It's not okay, funny yeah. at all. Who no, no, told you that was, was a funny, funny story? When you told it, <laughs> no, at but least now, tells it's it. funny. No, but, anyway. but now, I mean, it's a completely different story to me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, I did eat all the tacos. <laughs> I was I'm really ask. proud yeah, of you okay. for grabbing yeah. the tacos. Yeah. That's a you know what's funny move. is that yeah. I'm hungry now, and I was just thinking, I was like, <laughs> really taco funny if she ate two tacos. You know, you're like eating the one. Yeah. Sneak. 
And also, I was like, if it's not this, I'm not eating for the next few days. So yeah. well, survival. To lose. Wow. <laughs> they were awful, by the way. Yeah. yeah. If you've ever well, I mean, had yeah, yeah, Taco Bell. We don't need to clarify Sorry. here. They're bad in like two hours, let alone yeah. two days. It's like, that's not yeah. a fun experience. So wow. anyways, that's, that's how I got here on this podcast. Wow. Yeah. One of our previous guests, Sebastian Stan, we had like a lengthy conversation with him about social media and some of the perils of social media. Um, I'm just curious as someone who has probably experienced both like the highest highs that you could have and the lowest lows, like how do you grapple with it and how do you protect kind of your like mental health in, in this process that you're in? I don't grapple with it. I don't even know actually what that word mm-hmm. means. There has to be such a, a very distinct like separation between you and and the people that are consuming your content. And Mm. that's good and bad because it blocks you off from so much kindness. Like there are people that just will pour their heart out to you and love you and want to support you. And unfortunately, you have to miss out on a lot of that as well because there are also people that have committed their whole lives to disliking (laughs) you and follow you only to hate you Mm. and will respond to everything that you do with so much anger and like confusion. And Mm. you're just like, why are you here? (laughs) If you don't like me, just don't be here. I'm compelled by hatred. (laughs) Also, I am very vulnerable in what I talk about. And I, I speak a lot about mental health and just the highs and the lows of normal life. So I've I've just had to make a very clear cut boundary of like, there are certain things that I will read, like comments, I won't go down too far. I usually don't read my DMs. I have somebody go through those for me because I just can't. I can't, my eyeballs mm-hmm. in my heart like can't mm-hmm. deal with that. If I want to keep doing what I want to do here, which is like make people feel like they're loved and they're seen and they feel like they belong like in my content, then I need to stay healthy, but I also need to just like keep plowing through. Social media for me isn't social media. It's not like a an account that I go on and I can enjoy. It's like, it's a channel. It's a show. It's not personal anymore. It's more content driven, which has been a hard thing to rectify in my brain because I want it to be personal. I want mm-hmm. it to be my own and it just isn't anymore. And it's like, how do we move on past that? And where do I find that personal mm. feeling in my media that I'm consuming outside of Instagram or TikTok. Well, if I can say, it's just you've found a sweet spot. Yeah. You've managed to make uh, quite intimate and and vulnerable, as you said, but then like, you know, very funny and light. It just strikes a balance. It's just uncommon to find on social media. Like your videos are just a rare little ray of light on there. <laughs> it's just yeah. so lovely. It's just so, I mean, so Sophie said it. Like, I never DM Sophie. Why would I DM Sophie? Because <laughs> we're friends. Why would, we're no, friends. Th- exactly. As friends, why <laughs> yeah, would yeah. I DM you? No, no, yeah. <laughs> true. It's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That it's like that's everything that I kind of want to create with my content. And what I've found that's so cool is even like um videos that I make are this like weird way to connect everyday like people that are just like living life on social media and like mega celebrities in this like really bizarre like common ground that I'm like here Reese Witherspoon here's my friend from childhood like you guys should connect <laughs> like that's like literally that's what so it's done wild. and it's just so bizarre to me that that mm-hmm. can happen like the fact that I'm sitting here talking to all three of you right now is like so dumb. Like this is like so dumb. How does it? How does this happen? Like this isn't for me. Is not real. Yeah, yeah. We're like we <laughs> should be here. Our podcast is pretty stupid. Yeah. No, like in the yeah, best way. So like sweet, it's just it, this opportunity is so wild to me, yeah. and the fact that doors keep opening like that because of the content I'm making, I'm just so grateful. And so, yeah. yeah. 
I do want to say something about negative comments. I, I really appreciated your answer and that you didn't gloss over it. Like, you know, I've just learned to like let it roll off my back. Someone had once sent me like a really bitter, bitter, bitter text somewhat recently. And it really hurt my feelings. And I was really upset. But I also knew that it had to do with what that person was going through. And a friend of mine had come over that day, my friend Makina, who I love. And I showed it to her because I was like really upset. And she's like, this obviously has to do with what this person is going through. But if someone walks up to you and slaps you, that's going to hurt. She's like, this person just slapped you over this text message. Like, it's okay that it hurts. Like, of course, it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's the same with negative comments. Like, it's totally about those people and their bitterness or jealousy or whatever they're going through. But it hurts. You're human, you know. One thing I started doing in college that I use now, it's harder to use now as like, the hatred just is, the volume is higher. Mm. Saying like, I receive that and I don't receive that. I've talked a lot about that in my videos of like, being able to say like, I don't receive that out loud. I say it out loud. Mm. It allows my brain to hear that I don't align with like what that person is saying about me. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to remind my brain like, hey, we don't actually believe that. And like that for me helps me kind of separate the mental, like this isn't true. And then like the heart of like, this hurts though. Like it, it helps me kind of like, separate those and, and still allow myself to feel it without believing it. Um, and then alternatively, when people are kind, being able to say, like, I receive that. Mm. And it allows you to have it and take some time with it before you really believe it. But you're like, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to throw it away because I want to I want to believe that about myself. So those two sayings have been really helpful for me. But again, it's hard yeah. when it's the volume is just so high. People are so bold. Like the one time I had an experience with this, I sometimes post videos of David, my husband, who is also our editor and producer, oh, on my that. TikTok because he had like a ridiculous glow up. Like it's so ridiculous. His high school photo versus how he looks now is so funny to me. And I I will just like, I just recycle it. I know people are going to watch this. They're going to love it. And one time I was just doing that. I was recycling that high school picture of David's. And I think there was a trend where it was showing like, like my husband thinks we would have dated in high school and like, here's why we wouldn't. But it was always like the girl was really dorky and the guy was really good looking. And so I, I reversed it and I, I showed David like looking really dorky and some like high school pictures of me and then pictures of us now. And it got on the wrong side of TikTok. (laughs) It got like, for for me, it was a lot like 2 million views, hundreds of people being like, she's so ugly. Like she's aged so poorly and you have to divorce her. Someone said like, you should be so ashamed of yourself. You should die. Just like truly ridiculous things. And I was like, okay, David was like, Sophie, delete the video. Like this must be really hard for you to hear. And Penn, I agree with you. I think a lot of times people are lying. But for me, I was like, you're just dumb. You're so dumb. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking, I actually agree with you in that. I think sometimes it's so trivial that all it shows you is like, who even has the time? (laughs) Yeah. Like, why are you wasting your consciousness on this moment, bro? Like, what are you doing? Mm. Like, I'm cute. I look cute. (laughs) Even if you didn't die. (laughs) I know. No, it's so so, ridiculous. You know what? Let's just hypothetical. Let's say you didn't age well. So just just stick with me for a second. Like bridge yeah. trolls. That doesn't status. mean you deserve to die. Of course. Die. Yes, of course. We, we give so much attention to trolls. But even like, I don't know, like unnecessary praise is also like, we could probably do with less of that, right? It's like mm-hmm. you try to share anything of substance and 80% of the comments have something to do with my... Your hair. Or like or Penn posted like that, a video yeah. about like the persecution of the Baha'i community in Iran. And the comments were like, you're so hot. It's just like, yeah, like that's actually know? the same thing as saying you're so ugly, you totally. should die. It literally yeah. has yeah. the exact same validity and I value it in the same way. Like it doesn't, there's not an ounce of feeling good about that. It actually, what it proves is that 
by and large, trying to share anything of substance for me in this particular way and in the way that I'm doing it, by the way. I think, mm. you know, one thing you've cracked the code of, Elise, is like how to get people to really listen and enjoy something rather than being like, well, double tap, double tap, double tap, you know, just like, like hearts drooling. It's just like, yeah. that's not, it's just me. I was, you know? was going to ask you, I, I've been very curious, like, so for me, I don't play like characters because I am I am myself in videos. Like for you, yeah. what is that like being like another person in a character, like and having to like separate mm-hmm. people's affection for you versus their character? This is maybe at the root of why actors are kind of infamous for being difficult and touchy and you know, just really like uh difficult people to work with, whatever it is. Because I think at the crux of it, you're in a very passive state. But Mm. people treat you like an active agent when you're actually a very passive Mm. like instrument. Mm. I've heard so many apparently superficial and empty expressions of so-called love that I rarely can appreciate a genuine expression from someone, you know, who's saying it like from a more meaningful place. You know, it's a bandwidth Locked issue. Out. It's like you just yeah. kind of relegate it all to a certain part of your thinking, you know, and it's like Have you don't... Have you found that it affects the way that you receive like love and praise from people in your real life? I think in my closest relationships, I'm actually... Well, I'm, I'm an authentic and genuine person in relationships and I don't think I struggle with expression. I don't think I struggle with intimacy, but... I think anybody in, in my position or a position like it, I think, you know, you do eventually develop a complicated relationship to attention mm-hmm. and it's cameras, cameras. I mean, I don't have a value neutral relationship to cameras. Anybody pulls out their phone and wants to take a selfie. It's like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's incredibly, I, I don't have to think about it, but I just have like a gut reaction, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that for me, I've found that it, it like receiving so much from so many people all of the time, like being so open to the entire world all the time before I kind of figured out how to have a boundary with it. It made me just feel like so burnt out on just attention by anybody that even people in my normal life that love me and want like real relationship with me that are around me physically. I just found it to be so like, I don't want to give anything to you. I don't have anything to give to you. What do you want from me? Like that, mm. fe- that then that's a very unhealthy place to be yeah. because like yeah. you can't, if you can't have real relationship, like what are you doing? You know what I mean? Mm. Like something needs to change. I just think fame is objectively a, a negative, like. The human heart wasn't built for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's just, it, no. I, I think it's pretty clear. I think, I think enough yeah. experiments have been run, <laughs> you know, mm. fame doesn't do good for anybody really, you know, past a certain point. But so then, then what does it mean to navigate it and reconcile that and negotiate with it? I think I feel as though I'm being given this interesting first row, like witness to this aspect of modern human psychology and zeitgeisty kind of stuff where, you know, I, you know, when someone comes up to me, often I can see them much better than they can see me because they're projecting Mm. all kinds of ideas and I Mm. can just see them projecting. And it's kind of Mm. a painful imbalance. I prefer authentic interactions. Sometimes I'll stop and have a conversation for a very long time. You know, so mm. if someone just somehow seems to strike that balance of being genuine, I'm mm. like, oh, there it is. Okay, sure. I happen yeah. to have the time maybe, you know. But so often it's something else and I try to graciously witness it and be kind and gracious because no one deserves any kind of ire for that. It's not their fault. There's this like yeah. vast cultural That's illness that we're, that we're all, all participating in. And look, at the end of the day, if I wanted to end my career, there are ways to do it. 
So I'm not doing that yet, mm, yeah. uh, much as I try. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting thing to talk about. I don't have a lot of people in my life that I can really connect with. You need more famous that. friends, Elise, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but you like, need more. In a really bizarre way, you do. You need more people in that sphere that understand. And like, yeah, that, I haven't reached true. that level in yet a, to where in it's a certain like, sense. my friends well, are we famous. Can DM, we can DM more, you know? It's, okay. Um, that's uh, fine. No, Great. You, actually, Nava and Sophie can attest to this. I think I in- encounter the same difficulty. I don't have that mm-hmm. many friends, um, in space. really, in the space. You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I maintain a, a closeness with my coworkers in a meaningful way, but, like, like I don't network. I don't do that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm live in L.A., you know. Sometimes I forget how little I'm able to share, you know. Like, this is a really bizarre experience that mm, objectively is. we can state nobody should really be experiencing you know it's a very bizarre self-check and like heart check it, pretty much every day it, <laughs> it, it, it is surreal stick around we'll be right back hey lemonada listeners we want to hear from you you know we love our sponsors for a ton of reasons but one of the main ones is that they help us keep the lights on And there's a really easy way that you can help us draw new advertisers and hear ads for things you're most interested in. Filling out our quick anonymous survey at lemonadamedia.com slash survey. By just answering a few questions, you can help us find new brands to connect with and also share feedback about show content you'd like to see across the network. And to sweeten the deal, once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Visa gift card. I promise the survey is short and sweet and will help us play ads you don't want to skip and also keep bringing you content you love. Just go to lemonadamedia.com slash survey. People love to pretend that there are simple formulas for living your best life now. Eat this and you won't get sick. Manifest it and everything will work out. But there are some things you can choose and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always getting better. I'm Kate Bowler, and on Everything Happens, I speak with kind, smart, funny people about life as it really is. Beautiful, terrible, and everything in between. Let's be human together. Everything Happens is available wherever you get your podcasts. We do tend to, you listen to the podcast, so you know this. We tend to ask people about their spiritual practices, if they have one. That's how the three of us connected. Um, So do you sort of, did religion or spirituality play a role in your life growing up? And does it play one now? Yeah, so I grew up with parents that were Christian that always, you know, did the whole church thing, but not really kind of just like a cultural American church type Mm. experience to where there's not much to it. Um, Sorry, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, I love you. It was just weird. (laughs) I kind of found that like there was a lot of moral awards I felt like I achieved it when I believed those things and societally like people around me just were like yep that's the right thing okay I'm a Christian and like I'm gonna go to church and I kind of fell into that and then went to like a ministry school in Australia which is like how I met Jonas and um I hated it and I felt really trapped there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did it because I burned every bridge in my life and was like, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to become a famous musician and no one can stop me. And I accidentally went to a ministry school and didn't know that. So I was too (laughs) proud to say anything. So yeah, I ended up, I ended up uh, kind of doing that. And I decided, well, it's my only degree. I don't know what else I'm going to do. No one's going to hire someone with a Christian ministry degree from Australia that doesn't even translate to a bachelor's in in the States. So I'm going to try and work for a church. 
and um, tried to do that. And Jonas got hired and I did not because I'm a woman. Mm. And then that was my start of like, what do I really believe in why? And that kind of was like the deconstruction of what I thought was my Christian faith that wasn't actually much other than what I thought other people should think I should believe mm-hmm. and kind of found a lot of um, a lot of peace in that. Like mm-hmm. I thought I really understood what it was for so long that I didn't allow myself to ask any questions and mm-hmm. I didn't learn from anybody. So I felt, I feel very stunted in that right now at 28. I wish that I had more answers, but I think that me being able to say that I don't is probably the biggest like step forward in, in my mm-hmm. spiritual health that yeah. I've taken in a long time. So right now, yeah, I don't have a lot of like consistent practices other than like meditation and, and trying mm-hmm. to stay calm and, and open and yeah. I don't know if people know this. Most religions have their own like calendar system. So the Baha'i faith has its own and it's 19 months of 19 days. And each month has a name and it's meant to be like an attribute of God. And one of the names of the months is the month of questions. But there's no month that's the month of answers. And I think that that's like really profound in a way and like telling of like how we should be as humans, like, you know, questioning and exploring and kind of in a state of curiosity rather than like you put the period at the end and it's done. Oh, yeah. And that was like the issue I had for so long was I would be in these positions where I felt like this answer was just given to me. And I was like, okay, but what about it's like, no. And it's like Mm. that I've always been a curious person. I've always loved learning. And if like I couldn't ask a question about something that felt really bizarre to me and not Mm. like being in that in that situation just felt very unhealthy. And now that I'm not in it and I'm so removed from it. And Jonas and I are like, for the first time, just our marriage is healthier and we're just mm. like asking more questions and we're trying to stay open to that. And like, yeah, it's been very healing for us. Yeah. We have a final question that we ask Perfect. everybody. If you could go back and be with 12-year-old Elise, what would you say? What would you do? What would you want to tell her? Oh, man, that's like going to make me cry. <laughs> um, I think I would just say like, it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to get really bad and then it's going to get so much better. And like, I think I would just encourage her to like trust her gut. There was a lot happening at, at around 12-year-old Elise that made me feel like I couldn't trust me. And a lot of the things that I I, I could have avoided a lot if I would have just trusted my gut more. Mm. And I think that as young kids, we're not taught to trust ourselves because there's a lot of like hormones and a lot of like things that we kind of are made to feel crazy and we're actually not like we're human mm-hmm. beings that are experiencing crazy things for the first time ever and it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us up until that point in our lives and mm-hmm. we're not given enough space to feel that way and so i would just like yeah let her know like it's going to get so much better mm-hmm. and um listen listen to that little voice because like she's the one that's going to be with you forever that's really yeah. sweet like, I don't want this to end. I, like, want to keep talking I know, to Elise. I love you. We have to bring you back. We'll have to connect offline. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah, it really has been such a pleasure. It's yeah. been so good to talk to you guys. Yeah, so good to talk so good. to you. Today's real life listener submitted story is one of our favorites. Yes, I know we say that almost every story, but this really is a top three contender. It's called Trial at the Bowling Alley, and it's just so beautifully juvenile. It was sixth grade, spring of 1998. Woo! My crush on Lucas was strong. I knew it. He knew it. And every single one of our classmates knew it. So when we had a barely chaperoned bowling night in Bay City, Michigan, I think we all knew it was time to DTR, excuse me, define the relationship 
I was confident and very forward for a sixth grader. I told my girlfriends that tonight was the night I needed to make my move. They told me they'd handle it. So after I threw my 10th gutter ball of the night, thank you, my friends made their move. They grabbed me and Lucas, sat us down in navy plastic cafeteria chairs right across from each other, face to face. A murmur rippled through the crowd and soon all of our friends were whispering and lining up around us. The girls all formed a semicircle around my chair and the boys around his one by one, the girls and boys took turns stating their case to Lucas. A girl would go telling him why he should take me as his girlfriend. Then a boy would go telling him why he shouldn't. One by one, all of our classmates pled their cases while Lucas and I sat across from each other in the most metaphorically and literally uncomfortable plastic chairs. Now, after the final argument, Lucas said he needed some time to think. He whispered with his buddies for a while. I sat there, uh, sweating, waiting for a verdict. Finally, he rejoined the group to make his very public decision. Lucas would, in fact, have me as his girlfriend. I was thrilled. All the girls were. We won. Lucas was officially my boyfriend. I think we had an official hug to prove it. The next day, we sat next to each other at lunch, all my girlfriend's eyes upon us, everyone still buzzing off the trial at Bowling Alley the night before. All of the newfound insecurities I discovered about myself and the reasons all those boys told Lucas not to make me his girlfriend, they just paled in comparison to the feeling that Lucas was finally mine. That lunch hour was actual cloud nine. A few months later, I think we even held hands once. You can follow Elise Myers online at Elise Myers. That's Elise with a Y and Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. Podcrushed is hosted by Penn Badgley, Nava Kavlin, and Sophie Ansari. Our executive producer is Nora Ritchie from Stitcher. Our lead producer, editor, and composer is David Ansari. Our secondary editor is Sharaf Entwistle. This podcast is a Ninth Mode production. Be sure to subscribe to Podcrushed. You can find us on Stitcher, the SiriusXM app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And while you're online, be sure to follow us on socials. It's at Podcrushed, spelled how it sounds. And our personals are at Pem Badgley, at Nava, that's Nava with three N's, and at Scribble by Sophie. And we're out. See you next week. Catch you on the flip side. Bye. Motherfucker. Whoa. What the (laughs) fuck? So swear. That was like one of the least characteristic things I've ever heard you do. What was that? When Sophie, when Sophie cusses, which is so rare, it really throws me. Honestly, what on earth was that? Like, motherfucker. (laughs) Stitcher. What do weddings, Instagram, and toxic relationships all have in common? They take your money and you can't get it back. 16 grand, somewhere in there. Gone. There's no legal solution for the fact that you married an asshole. Welcome to The Dough. I'm Ex Mayo. We're diving into the stories surrounding the moolah baby. The good, the bad, and the unexpected. Yeah, we're talking about it all. The Dough is out now, wherever you get your podcasts.